Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Young Black Suburban. Uh, today on our show, we're going to be covering all things healthcare, not all things, but a really big portion of it. Uh, and we have a very special guest, Jennifer Bolyelmi. <laughs> um, from at home, at uh, home rehab. At home rehab. Sorry. Uh, and how are you doing? I'm good. Good. Um, pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, we met through a uh, mutual friend, Brian, who yes. you're actually his boss. Yes, he's um, now my patient advocate at right. at the agency. So he goes out and when patients are admitted to the hospital, he goes and visits them. Uh, he does a lot of outreach in the community with the social workers at the hospitals, with the doctor's offices, following up on their paperwork when they need things to get signed uh, so that we can bring everything together for the whole plan of care. Right. He's also in charge of my dad's YouTube channel. <laughs> yes, I hear he does a lot of work with, with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so before we get into all the stuff about your business and everything, let's tell our viewers a little bit about yourself. Um, are you a Bucks County native? Are you from around here? So I was born in Northeast Philadelphia okay. in the Longcrest area. And I went to St. Williams for grade school on Rising Sun Avenue and Cardinal Doherty for high school in Ottawa. Okay. And then after that, I went to LaSalle University for an undergraduate degree in biology. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with the degree, but towards the end, I decided I wanted to be a physical therapist. So I applied to eight different physical therapy schools. I got into two because it's very competitive. Right. And um, I chose Beaver, which is now called Arcadia. And I went there, and I graduated there in 1998. Nice. So after that, I started working at a few different places, including Chestnut Hill Rehab, Pennsylvania Hospital, a couple of outpatient centers. And then uh, in 2002, I decided to start working on at-home rehab and studying all the, you know, federal registrars from the government and how home care operates and what regulations I would have to follow and writing up policies and procedures. And then got my Medicare certification and then a few years later, joint commission accreditation. Right. So Now, you started in the physical therapy. Right? Yes. Mm -hmm. That is not... Just one, two, three years of school, is it? How, how many years do you have to uh, go to school to become a physical therapist? So when I went, it was, I got my undergraduate degree. That was four years. That was in biology. And then after that, it's about, about two and a half years to get the master's degree. And you start in June. So I graduated college in June. And then a few weeks later, started with my physical therapy program. We do gross anatomy in the summer. So you start in the summer, you go summer and winter, and then you do full cadaver, which is a human body dissection. Right. And then that, there was a fast track program that was five altogether. So I went four and then two and a half. There was a program where you could go straight out of high school, but then you graduate with a physical therapy degree. You don't have two degrees. Uh, and now they change it to a doctorate right. right after I graduated. So I think it's another year of internships. Yeah, and it's more expensive. Right. Um, <laughs> now, that's a lot of schooling. Did you always have that work ethic? Like, 
from a very young age, were you always studious? Is that My mom taught Catholic school for 47 years. She taught at St. William's when I went there. So she taught at the school I went to, and she basically did our homework with us and quizzed us on our homework every night, including weekends and even summer. We had a summer school program where she, nine to three, we had to sit in the kitchen and do school <laughs> with my mom. So everything was disciplined, and then we had to practice our piano, and we had um, other extracurricular activities that were very defined mm -hmm. outside of school, so I didn't spend much time watching television wow. or anything like so that. So school was life. It was, right, mm -hmm. <laughs> education and all that, yeah, was my mom's. And did you ever have any other uh, like aspirations before healthcare, or was that something that you knew early on that that was your calling? Well, I knew I, I my dad was a social worker, so I kind of thought about social work for a little while. But then, you know, just I don't know what really got. I guess my mentor in college spoke to me about different things that I like to do, and I volunteered in college in physical therapy because they kind of pushed me in that direction when they heard my interests and. Um, thought I would have a good personality for that, so mm -hmm. I ended up liking the volunteer work and and going for it. Right. Um. And so you, you graduate school, and then you have to go into. You said right away you found a job, or do they place you? So it was really hard to find a job at that time when I graduated in '98. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad actually knew somebody that worked at Chestnut Hill Rehab in the administrative end. So he got me in there. If I wouldn't have gotten in there, I probably would have had a really difficult time finding a job at that time. It's very different now. Right. Because um, you could be surprised as a boxer. I've been to <laughs> a couple of like physical therapy uh, right. places. Sure. Um, and the places I've been, they haven't been really that big. Maybe like four or five physical therapists stationed. Time. I forget even. So you were probably an outpatient. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. where you went, right? So yeah, that's yeah. different than. So home when care. you were when you did came out of school, you didn't go into just regular uh, physical therapy. You went right into rehabilitation from like is it geriatrics? Or? Right. So so what I did was I went. I started working in a nursing home type okay. facility that has a rehab there. Mm -hmm. So it was people maybe I worked in the stroke department. So it was people with strokes. Okay. that were coming in for inpatient care. Right. So they were in a hospital bed, and we would go to their room and work with them and take them to the gym if we could put them in the wheelchair and take them to the gym and work on their balance and things like that, standing. Mm -hmm. A lot of them can't get up from a chair. Right. It's a very selfless job. Um, how did you handle being around patients like that emotionally? So at first, it's scary. I think most physical therapists can say that because when you're walking with somebody that's really off balance and you're trying to hold them up, they can fall. I mean, I did have a few people in the first couple of years that I worked fall um, and I wasn't able to catch them. So, you know, land under them or wherever you land. Um, but then as you get more confident, you are going to have your random falls that you can't avoid. But I think the nervousness when you're first a physical therapist and I remember having even nightmares at night that, you know, patients fell under yeah. my watch and I was in trouble and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you slowly gain confidence. You know, the first place I worked, there were a few seasoned therapists who kind of showed me some tips and this is how you, I mean, you learn it in school, but it's different right. when you're working with, especially on steps, because yeah, yeah, yeah. if they fall down the steps, 
and you're behind them, it's not pretty. Right. <laughs> so what are some of the major injuries that you see? So in home care now, we see a lot of falls. Mm -hmm. Patients fall in their home due to various reasons, mostly because they're geriatric and they're off balance and they have different medical conditions that make them off balance. Right, right. And then, um, you know, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, um, arthritis, all different, all different diagnoses. And most of the patients are geriatric. Some are, some are younger if they have maybe an accident. Right, right, right. They're on disability. Yeah. But so, they have to be homebound to see us to get home care. So like we were talking about going to an outpatient right, center, right. we so have to different. screen them when they call our company. Like if I get an order from a doctor's office, my office has to screen them to make sure they're homebound, meaning they need the assistance of another person to get out of home. If they are not, we would recommend them go to outpatient. Okay, and what is the difference? What lies in the region? You don't have an actual facility, brick and mortar place no. for them to go to. So that's why your company only does in home care. Right. So there's a lot of regulations. There's a lot of regulations that go into doing home care. So for me to have a home care company and an outpatient facility, that's double the work. Right. right. Which I don't even have time to keep up with what I have now. So just getting all the licenses and following the regulations and the compliance is a lot. So I chose to do home care because I liked it, as a physical therapist, I liked it better than outpatient therapy. Mm -hmm. So let's get into you being uh, someone that went into people's homes and, mm -hmm. and having to uh, do a lot of the front work, as you, can, as you would say, um, to then be someone who thinks, wow, I think I'm going to take this to the next level um, and become a business owner uh, myself. Do you remember the day that it just went, this is what I'm going to do? I don't really remember the exact day, but I do know that when I was working for people in the different facilities, I would always be in my boss's office with ideas. We need to do this. We need to change that. And everybody thought I was just, you know, ground nosing, I guess. But I really did have such a passion for how things operated. And I felt that I, that I could make a bigger difference by helping to change policy and by doing that um, than and I even did as a therapist myself. Do you think that you got that from when your mom was making you go to school and <laughs> doing all those? Yeah, I think my mom's family, they're very disciplined. And then my dad's family, two of his brothers, uh, business owners. Mm -hmm. So I may have gotten that entrepreneurial spirit from that side a little bit. And, uh, and the discipline from my mom and then also... I did martial arts Aikido for a little more than 10 years. Mm -hmm. From the time I was 17 until I was 27, I got my black belt in about eight years. And I think that really disciplined me because I was going to school, coming home, studying, and then I had to find the time to get all my studying in and still go right. five nights a week at some point. Right. You know, in time, I would go into martial arts. So I wasn't really spending much time going out socially right. or anything like that. I didn't drink or anything. So, so you're a workhorse. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, right, right. I, I think I grew up just learning to be disciplined with that. Mm -hmm. So so you said there's a lot of regulations in owning your own facility, well, your own company and, and all that. You went from someone else taking care of that responsibility mm -hmm. to it then being on your lap. You, uh, Tell us a little bit how the, the difference of responsibility shift affected you. 
Yeah, it was a lot of crying for a couple of years. Um, <laughs> because when I went into it, I thought, oh, I've been doing this. I've been doing home care now on the side. Because when I started my company, I had three jobs. Mm -hmm. So I was working a full-time job, a weekend job, and doing home care after work. So I thought, oh, I'm doing home care. I know how this works. I can do this easily. I was really wrong. Um, I remember my first survey when they came to survey the home care agency for my Medicare accreditation. The surveyor basically looked at me, laughed, and walked out the door and said, you failed. Start over. And I just remember sitting there crying. What did I do? I thought I knew how to do this. And I had to regroup, get myself back together, and say, all right, I'm going to try over. And then I had to wait for them to return. They don't tell you when they're returning to survey you again. So a year is going by, I'm calling Medicare, what's going on? I'm still seeing free patients because you have to see free patients. You never get reimbursed for that until they come back. You have to keep a census of 10. So I was seeing 10, my boyfriend who's a nurse, myself as a physical therapist, him as a nurse, for two years we ended up between the first survey, waiting a year to be surveyed, and then the second survey waiting over a year to be surveyed again. That was over two years of free patients that we saw and never were reimbursed for and still working my two other jobs and he was still working his other full-time job at the same time. And you're traveling to these Yes, yes, so and expenses. trying to get the patients right. from doctors and telling them there are free patients. It doesn't matter what insurance they are because we're never going to get paid for them anyway, so can you just give us patients that need care? Right. Um, and, and then waiting and waiting and calling the state, when are you coming back? We can't tell you that. Mm -hmm. It's a surprise. So they, when they came back the second time, I still had deficiencies that I had to correct, but I passed. Right. And I, I remember thinking at that point, you know, it was that transition between being an employee and being an employer mm -hmm. and understanding that as an employee, you really don't know as much as you think yeah, you oh, do. Yeah. <laughs> it almost reminded me of like the parent-child relationship. Like, the child doesn't realize how much the parent knows until they're actually the parent. Exactly. So yeah. it, kind, it kind of, I mean, not having kids myself, but I've heard, right. I, I experienced it myself. So, right, it's... I compare it to being a personal trainer and being a gym owner. Mm -hmm. Two totally different things. And then once you realize it, you're like, wow. You Why know, did I do this? You, right. can, you can <laughs> probably be happier and make more money uh, doing what you were doing at that time when the grind was really hard, mm -hmm. you know, but then you're grinding, you're hitting the pavement and, and you start to see a little bit of daylight, you know, what was some of the support that got you through that, that made you realize that, oh, this isn't all hopeless, you know, I can actually uh, make it to the other side. <laughs> That's hard to say because I still feel it's hopeless sometimes. I mean, I still feel days that why am I doing this? Right. You know. Um, and how many years are we in? 20 years now. 20 years mm -hmm. in. <laughs> so, like, for all the people that own businesses can relate, you know, but people that uh, haven't really experienced what it is to have everything on your shoulders, just, it might be hard. You, know, you can't have a conversation. And I've learned that, and I think that was one of the biggest things. I had to learn that it was so frustrating having, having a conversation about the business with anyone that didn't own a business. Um, that required so many demands because you just, it's like banging your head against a wall. Mm -hmm. You can't do it. And once you learn that and you get past that, you're like, okay, I'm only going to have these types of conversations with people that are in the same boat. Yeah. Then 
it becomes less frustrating because you are now not right. <laughs> feeling feeling like you're banging your head against the wall having a conversation with somebody that doesn't understand it. Yeah. Um, so that that helped getting past that hump. And also, people don't understand that. I mean, by choice, obviously. I mean, I, I guess I could have gone on vacations if I wanted to. It would have been stressful. But I haven't been on vacation in over 20 years. Right. And I work seven days a week. Most people that ask me, should I start my own business? You know, I usually ask them, well, do you like going on vacations? You know, do you like eating a meal without working? Right. Do you like, so all these things, people don't realize that you're giving up. Do you like giving up your sleep? A lot of nights, you know, um, sometimes having to push it out till three in the morning and then being up at six, you have to be in an appointment in the morning. Mm -hmm. All these things do not meet the eye to somebody that never did it. Right. And, so, and that's that side of it. You're not even touching the people that depend on you to run your business, the people that you wake up every day and serve. You know, mm -hmm. I'm sure that that's a headache in its own. And you have to deal with unruly clients sometimes. And you know, how, how is the administrative side of, of it, it? It goes uphill. So <laughs> typically I find that employees, if everything's going well with the patient, it's their patient. But if, if something's going wrong with the patient, then it's my patient all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Right, right, right? So you have to say, you have to not let that bother you because as a leader in general, any leader, if you think about any leader, they have to develop a thick skin. Right. You know, I think of that song, It's Lonely at the Top, mm -hmm. because it is. Um, you have to understand that people don't like you. You have to understand that people have perceptions of you that aren't true. Because I'm just a regular person yeah. that got my physical therapy degree and decided to start my own business right. that anybody else could do. So it's not that I'm any kind of different person yeah. than anybody else. I just decided that I guess I like torture more than other people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can. I, I, like it's a very relatable topic for me, um, and and like you just make me think about like on my days that. I work seven days a week. I, I just got done mm -hmm. telling some, somebody that I get like a day and a half off every week, but they're half days mm -hmm. that are not even off, you know? And then somebody will ask me, uh, hey, can you do some network with me? I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here seven days a week and I get limited time off. So, um, That's another big, big issue is that most people do not understand the value of your time. So when they call you and you try to be calm, because I always try to be calm, I don't yeah, want to put the weight of everything I'm going through on other people, their perception is that I have all the time in the world for them, which is what I want their perception to be, because that's how I want my patients to feel and everybody to feel. But sometimes people have just a complete lack of respect for that you picking up this phone was a lot, mm -hmm. you know, that five minutes is a lot to yeah, spend definitely. on the phone. Yeah. So that that's that's very difficult for me because I'm an empathetic person. So I try to empathize with the person on the other end who may be having one frustration while I'm sitting here with a hundred, right. but I don't want to tell them. Yeah, that. exactly. I don't want to put that on them. And, and still be accommodating sometimes. Correct, you know? regardless of whether there's a million things around me that need to be solved that are way more important than what they're calling about. Mm -hmm. I still have to make them feel like what they're talking about is important. Right. So what is it like working for Jennifer as an employee, the person? What do you, do you like? 
are you a stern <laughs> oh, oh you mean what is like, the perception yeah, of my no no like if i was to work for you how would my experience be what would i say about jennifer see <laughs> i don't somebody else asked me see i don't know what people say about me so but... <laughs> what's your perception you know of you as a boss <sighs> i would think that people think i think that some of my staff think that i'm too easy and that I let people get away with too much. So I think the conscientious people probably think that I let other people get away with too much. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for that. And I think it's because I see the whole picture and they probably don't. And I try to emphasize everybody's talents. So they might pull out one negative thing or a few negative things about that person, mm -hmm. but they're not seeing all the positive things that that other person does for the company and how they balance maybe things that they're not talented in. But typically when people call me, they're pointing out their own strengths and other people's weaknesses. Rarely do I have that employee that would call me and say, this is a weakness of mine and I need to work on it. Right, right. So, but really when people call me, the conversation should only be about them and not other people. Mm -hmm. But typically, typically people always want to look at what's wrong with the other person yeah. that's working and not themselves. So. And when you're not the leader, you can't see the whole Correct. Mm -hmm. army. Um, and typically, I try to blame myself for everything. So whenever somebody does something, I always ask myself, did I not train them correctly? Uh, what did I say or do that maybe misconstrued their perception of something or made them not understand it correctly? So then I end up doubling and tripling my own work to try to have them understand or Mm -hmm. sometimes in vain and sometimes a waste. So you're training these people personally? I train 100% of my staff from day one myself. How big is your, uh, your, your staff? Um, there are, considering all the full part and per diem people, right now there's close to 40. Okay. Uh, and there's a lot of turnover. I mean, I don't want to say a lot, but there's turnover. Mm -hmm. And there's also having to hire people. So at any given time, I probably have three to five new people that it's their first month. Right. Meaning I'm spending a lot of time with those people on the phone working through okay. assessments and, and so you're not personally out in the field chasing these people, you're doing a lot of phone call training and Oh observation visits also. Okay. So I observe them with patients. Right. And then we so typically on their first visit I would go with them, observe that initial assessment. Mm -hmm and then sit with them either in the car or go back to the office, wherever's close, and actually work through that whole assessment. That can range anywhere from four hours of time to seven hours of time, depending on how quickly they're gathering everything. Mm -hmm. And then could be another follow-up with that, could be other observation visits, depending, and then many, many phone calls. So do you have one central place where people call your company and they don't get in contact with you to, all right. So you, you cause you're, you can't do everything, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like you're superwoman, but you know, <laughs> no, you know, no one can do everything. You'll go crazy. So you have a, a team. In Three full time in the office right now and going on a fourth coming nice. soon. Nice. So the, they're pretty, uh, as we grow now, they're getting pretty busy, so um, moving jobs around a little bit for the people that had a little space in their schedule so that when I bring the new person on, I can train that person on all the 
some of the things that I'm currently doing that really shouldn't be on my plate anymore because I'm, you know, managing, you know, the finances and 401k plans and right. I mean, on and on and on. So, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, that's hectic in itself. And then you have, you know, these conversations with your employees and everything like that. Some people might try to uh, overstep boundaries or, you know, you there's a lot of that going on. How mm -hmm. do you, um, you know, keep keep the boss face on? That's not one of my fortes. <laughs> <laughs> um, that would probably be my weakest. Like I said, I'm always looking at myself. So that would probably be my weakest thing is boundaries. Okay. I have a hard time with that because I have so much empathy. So I think that if an employee calls me frustrated, I take that on and I think, what can I do to ease their frustration? Not only now, but how can I fix this process so that I'm leaving their frustration in the future? That is not always successful because some people just like to cause their own frustration over and over again. So I try to, I'm really trying to work on that and say, okay, this is what I can offer you, but you have to take it from here. You know? Yeah. Um, and dealing with people, dealing with customers, that can give you uh anxiety you don't have any gray hairs i do oh i do <laughs> i do it's hair color <laughs> yeah. uh, would you know working seven days a week you have to find something for yourself do you have you know that one thing you say you have a boyfriend right um, mm -hmm. my you, boyfriend's a nurse and he right. was seeing patients for the company for a while um i've hired other nurses now and he helps me on the administrative end more like that now. Um, I like to play tennis. I try to take two hours on Saturday mornings and play from eight to 10 and just try to forget about the business. Although everybody I play tennis with is constantly reminding me mm -hmm. when I'm on the court, uh, the ball's coming, you know, <laughs> stop thinking about work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they all know me. So they all know they have to remind me sometimes because I, all of a sudden, you know, if I'm, my partner's hitting the ball, and I'm not paying attention. I'm thinking about, oh, what do I have to do? As soon as I'm done here, I have to return this email or I have to do this. And then I get, you know, yeah. <laughs> distracted. But, uh, you know, I like the boxing, the boxing yeah, class. Yeah, the I, boxing I tried. Now, yeah. I tried with you. It was, it was fun. And I think that's good for frustrations. It, I think deep breathing has been my number one thing. Mm -hmm. And you can do it throughout the day. It doesn't cost anything. And I tell my staff to do it too when they get frustrated. Just stop and take a deep breath a couple times until you feel your body calm down. Because I remember at one point, it was probably maybe five or six years in, I was seeing patients. I was seeing a caseload of 10 to 15 patients and running the business. Mm -hmm. So I'm driving frantically to patients trying to keep up with everything. And my heart just started racing. I ended up just calling my doctor's office and going there and they put heart monitors on me and they said that it was anxiety and I thought I was having a heart attack. So she said, you're probably having an anxiety attack. And we talked about my situation and what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And she advised me that I just cut back on the number of patients I'm seeing, try to find staff. And that was a little bit of a turning point, but I think it took a couple more times of anxiety so attacks. It took you to have... A health scare for you to lessen your and it's still load. after that I still continued to and it took a couple more times of me having to pull over on the road mm -hmm. and just 
hyperventilating and things like that to really, I don't even know if it hit me until, I mean, I'm 49 now. Probably when I turned 48, I started to think about that 5-0 mark and I started to think, okay, that's when people start to really have health problems and I, I really have to take this a little more seriously mm -hmm. and eat, eat more and <laughs> try to take a little bit of time right. to chew my food and things like that. I mean, when it starts to come down to like your basic functions, it gets a little scary yeah. and that's, and that's what happens. Right. Now, Do you uh, have any advice for me? Because <laughs> <laughs> <You're> <laughs> no, not, now I do have anxiety. I have my own ways of handling it. But as far as lessening your workload and doing that transition of being just the business owner, um, it's a hard transition, you know. I'm here. I'm, I'm teaching six classes a day, uh, personal sessions, and, and I'm thinking there's no one that can do it better than me. So, how how can I hand this off to someone? How did you have that same feeling? Oh, completely. Yeah. I mean, I still cover once in a while, but I've actually found people that I definitely feel are better physical therapists than I am. Mm -hmm. Which is nice because I will, when I cover for them, I will say to the patient up front, look, I'm on the administrative end. Most of the time I'm going to do my best, but this isn't my forte because I don't do it every day. This person does it every day because I, I had to shift my, I had to shift my thoughts in order to make, to make myself feel, okay, this is not something that I, I don't need to be doing everything. Mm -hmm. And when I cover for a patient, I do make them know that I'm just covering and I think that's important for my staff, too, to know that they are doing a better job than I could do because I can't do that kind of job because I have too much on my mind. Mm -hmm. I'm too distracted. Right. So it's not going to foster a good focus on that patient when I have calls coming in yeah. and then I'm hearing the phone and I'm thinking, who needs me? Mm -hmm. well, I'm not focused on that patient. So... I came to that conclusion that I can no longer do that job yeah. and do better for the patients. And it is better for them mm -hmm. to have somebody else who can focus on that. Exactly. Thanks for that advice. It's, it's good. And, and I think, too, is um, just finding those right people that can do that good job. Yeah. That's the hard thing. There's not that many boxers out here, you know. <laughs> so, like, like you, your, your health care... It's a, it's a weird business right now. Like, I feel like employees are in high demand in healthcare, but a lot of businesses are having trouble filling positions. Mm -hmm. um, my girlfriend works at a place called Buckingham Rehabilitation Center. That's around the corner from my house. <laughs> um, and she's going to be transferring over to St. Mary's mm -hmm. uh, soon. St. Mary Rehab? Yeah. Uh, I think I can say that because by the time this comes out, she'll be just switch jobs but uh one of the biggest problems that they have are covering shifts in those facilities um they bring in a lot of companies i guess that are like what is her position there uh she's a cna okay they're um, really in demand right yeah, now exactly. mm -hmm. um, that's that's a hard yeah but she'll say that there'll be nurses that'll come in from agencies and rehabs mm -hmm. uh and cnas uh, and they're really overworked. Um, do you see that that is a big difference from doing in-home care than facility? It's work? hard to find good people in in-home care too, because I think a lot of nurses are getting burned out because they were so short-staffed and overworked. Mm -hmm. 
So now they're they're trying, I think they're shifting around trying to find the best work-life balance for themselves because in healthcare, you have to find it. Mm-hmm. And I try to do as many things in my company as possible by having the office support them in different functions mm-hmm. so that they can find that work-life balance and they can get the support they need from the office to not, for example, getting insurance authorizations. Um, I know a lot of agencies do that for their staff. Um, I've heard different things from staff that, oh, well, I, for my other agency, I have to make these calls, X, Y, Z. But for your agency, your office handles that for me, and that's yeah. nice. So I feel like when you're in front of the computer, obviously my office is overwhelmed too. So that's why I'm getting an extra person. And sometimes I'm not sure if the people on the road realize how difficult it is to manage everything that's coming in and getting the authorizations and all the phone calls because it is time consuming. Mm -hmm. So that's something. The hardest thing I think from being a business owner and seeing it, seeing the big perspective of everybody is most people think they are doing the most. So if you talk to each individual in an organization, they all think, well, I do more than everybody else. And it's just, it's, it comes down to the ego. Mm-hmm. So I think the people that realize that there's other people in the organization doing just as much, if not more than they are, and they have humility about their job and about themselves, they get much less frustrated. Right. Because they know they can depend on others and work as a team. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of webs and a lot of mm-hmm. <laughs> changing parts and things to cover. Because that's where a lot of my anxiety came from was that, I'm the only one that can do this. I'm the only one that can treat patients, run the entire company, do everything. And with that mentality, of course I'm going to be anxious yeah. because I don't think anybody can help me. But as soon as I say, well, you know, there's a lot, there's therapists out there that I have working for me that are doing a better job with the patients than I could do, mm-hmm. that eases my anxiety to know that because now I don't have to do everything. Right. Now, so. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, well, I like to ask, uh, female business owners that I have on my show um, simple question about being a female business owner mm-hmm. um, do you see uh, in your field any difference of uh, treatment or anything like that I know in my sport women <laughs> boxers are treated different than male boxers um, I was just watching a documentary last night on Christy Martin where her husband, who actually uh, was her trainer, didn't even want her to be in the gym because she was a female. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they ended up making millions of dollars, and it's a whole other story. But I guess your job is a little bit different. Right. Um, I feel like I have not experienced anything. In fact, I feel like everybody's been really supportive um my employees are male and female and i feel like we all interact together nicely nobody really brings that to light yeah i mean i would say the the challenge probably about being a female business owner would be more in the respect of at home um at least at my house i do you know the wash the, the cooking the cleaning Things like that. I mean, my boyfriend does a lot, too, to help. But having the responsibilities at home, and luckily I don't have kids because if I did, I couldn't do this for sure. But I think a lot of women in business, if they do have children and they are doing all those things, it's fitting it in, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and then also fitting in the attention that you need to give 
to the person you're with and them being understanding. Luckily, my boyfriend's very understanding and supportive because he understands the business because he's involved in it. But if people aren't understanding of that, I think it could become a problem. Well, nurses work long hours too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you guys kind of, mm-hmm. how, how do you make that work? Well, what are some of the things that you guys do in the relationship? Um, <laughs> I, for me, I think the best thing is just outlining what the day is going to look like so that he can plan his own personal things around it. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I know she's going to be busy at work until this time, so I'll go do my own thing mm-hmm. so that I'm not waiting around guessing when she's going to be done or things like that. And just communicating, I think that's the most important thing. And like you said, my staff are all probably having similar issues because they're coming home and doing paperwork Mm -hmm. and their their spouses are, they still have to cook and take care of their kids and everything else. So I'm sure they're experiencing a lot of the same challenges, finding the time. So... Me, I'm hearing, you know, Jennifer owns a rehabilitation center. She must be loaded with money. <laughs> she must be loaded with cash on hand. Um, and, you know, she deals with health insurance companies and everything mm-hmm. like that. I'm sure that there's a lot about that that people don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, how is it owning a rehabilitation center, having to deal with cash from health insurance, government regulations, Mm -hmm. all that. I think what people don't realize is there's a lot more denials than they think. So basically my staff are doing visits. They're getting paid every two weeks. The insurance companies take months to pay you. And then when when that all comes out in the wash, there can be a percentage of denials. There can also be entire charts we don't get paid on. Or there's audits and then they decide that that patient wasn't appropriate like medicare has a three-year look back Mm. so they can take money back up to three years they can ask me for a chart two and a half years ago look at that chart and then take the entire chart back and i've already paid my staff i've had people ask me well do your staff still get paid if you don't i said absolutely they do um so i think people don't realize that and i think the other thing they don't realize is the overhead and the amount of money that goes out Mm -hmm. So it's it's not what they think as far as what what's coming in versus what's going out. You end up with a very small margin, especially since all of the Medicare and insurance cuts have happened over the years. It's gotten harder. I would not start a home health agency now. I'm glad I started it when I did because it was a little better then. Um, now I do it. I do it because I love it, and I do it because I love to give people a good place to work. And I enjoy what I do, and I enjoy working. Right, right. Um, I could get a job probably as a director or somewhere making a higher net salary than I'm making running this company, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm sure you, yeah, I, <laughs> which I'm sure you know by being yeah, a business owner. Exactly. Um, that was a good uh, explanation. I still think that you're loaded, but <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, well, me and you, we first met. Um, mm-hmm. because you have a nonprofit, uh, mm-hmm. and we're going to be doing a seminar for yes. your company to help mm-hmm. out. It's called Josie's Wish. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to tell our viewers uh, about Josie's Wish? So Josie's Wish, um, I just started, and really don't have many donations right now, only one. So <laughs> I'm looking for more donations, but 
we see a lot of lymphedema patients in the company, and those patients need certain supplies that aren't covered under the insurance. There are also other things that aren't covered under insurance, but mostly these lymphedema wraps that they need to keep the swelling down in their legs. And I saw that time and time again, a lot of companies, a lot of home care agencies do not accept lymphedema patients because it's, it's, there's a lot of training that goes into being able to treat this type of patient. So I started the charity because, well, my grandmother has lymphedema and my mom takes care of that. And that's kind of how I developed a little bit of a passion for it because I saw how well my mom takes care of her arm and keeps it, keeps the swelling down. So the charity I just started, it's very hard for me to give much attention to it because of how much attention I have to give to the primary business. So my goal is to try to do one event or two events a year and then also get the word out to get on the website, um, org, and for people to donate so we can provide these patients that can't afford the wraps for their legs, you know, what uh, they need. These patients have circulation issues? or They can have circulation issues along yeah. with the swelling, but basically, in layman's terms, it's their legs swell up because their lymphatic system, which pulls the basically clears your body of the fluid Mm -hmm. and toxins is not working properly due to one reason or another. It could have been some type of cancer where they had radiation. Um, It could be just um, lack of mobility or certain surgeries after it if they had damage to the lymphatic system. Mm -hmm. So in that case, they would need these wraps that are really tight that go on the legs that defy gravity so that it, a lot of it ends up in the tops of their feet. They have pumps on the tops of their feet. It ends up in their ankles. So it's mostly down where the bottom of gra- you know, where gravity pulls. So when they sit with their legs down, it just pulls. And then, not to be just too descriptive, but if where the fluid has nowhere else to go, it starts to come out of the skin. Mm-hmm. So they end up with sometimes pools of fluid under their feet. So this... The wrapping helps to keep that and help to push it back through the circulatory system so that they can clear it out. Um, where did the name Josie's Wish come from? Josie's Wish. So Josie, my grandmother, Josie. my grandmother's name was Josephine. Okay. So so Josie, Josie's Wish is where where that came from. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And she's still alive. She's ninety six. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she didn't need uh, this procedure. She does get wraps oh, on yeah? her arm. Yeah, oh, my mom okay. wraps her arm uh, probably almost every day. She's over there taking care of her. And because my grandma had um, cancer, uh, breast cancer when she was in her late 60s, and they took out off her breast and they took out lymph nodes, so her, her arm doesn't drain. So it swelled up, and my mom wraps it every day to keep it. And her arm looks as thin as mine now. Right, right. That's so so they they. It's a good cause and it helps a lot of people. She's under control and she always, when I talk to her on the phone, she, she tells me about my mom wrapping her arm. Well, hopefully <laughs> we, can, we can raise some awareness for what we're going to do. Yes, I think lymphedema is huge. It's a huge diagnosis that there's not much awareness about. Right. Nice. So we had a nice conversation. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, we're at the end of our show, but at the end of our show, I give... Uh, my guess a chance to say whatever they want to say <laughs> to the 
a podcast universe. Um, usually <laughs> they say something about yourself or a message of inspiration. Um, this is your mm -hmm. chance. And I like to put people on the spot because like, <laughs> you know, this is how it happened. Well, I would just say to all the business owners out there <laughs> that if you're having any kind of stressful situation to just stop, no matter what you're doing in the middle of it, just take some deep breaths, try to get your heart rate down, your breathing down, because the most important thing is if you don't have your health, then you cannot run the business effectively and you can't spread your happiness and excitement to your employees and, and to the people you're serving. So I think the most important thing is comes from your center and, and where you're coming from, and that trickles down to everybody around you. Great, great words. I'm going to take them and I'll watch this podcast and study. <laughs> so that's Jennifer Goyami. Did yes. I get it? Goyami, yes. Goyami from mm -hmm. At Home Healthcare. At Home Rehab. At Home Rehab. <laughs> <laughs> I do it every episode anyway. Um, here on the Young Black Suburban, thanks for coming by. If you guys like what you saw, please like, share, and subscribe. See you again.